monsters. <laughs> is amazing is it yeah you know it's amazing what you and this podcast that we're awkwardly starting with song and pizzazz <laughs> as we yeah. should mm-hmm. pizzazz welcome to the podcast <laughs> welcome to murder horror monsters hi welcome uh that beautiful dulcet is Dulcet for like any nice voice or like I, is there like a specific I thought it was a specific like tone. But maybe not. Now that I think about it, maybe you're right. Maybe it's for any any voice. You know what? Let's just real quick look up the definition. Sweet and soothing. Often Ooh. used ironically. Oh. oh. Well oh. listen, I'm saying it non-ironically. You have beautiful <laughs> dulcet tones. And they are my favorite. And the no, person no, no. with that voice is Skloon. Hi, Skloon. Welcome. Oh, whoa. Uh, but sadly, you are mistaken. The person with the dulcet tones is the Ash. Hello, Ash. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would like to say that I have the voice of a slightly annoying, like, sixth grader who's just consistently, shut, like, shut, poking at shut, you. Shut, 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 shut beautiful mouth okay listen <laughs> your voice is one of my favorite voices i have a thing of voices and your voice is up there that actually makes me really happy and like a weird <laughs> like kind of self-absorbed like egotistical way but not no, at no, the no, same no. time because i don't believe no, no. you but listen, it makes me feel I, would, <laughs> I would listen to you read the dictionary all right and it would soothe me and i would just would have you... vibing times uh, well, you are going to listen to me read some wonderful uh, Mothman stories when mm. the time comes. Yeah. I can't wait for that. <laughs> me too. I've been doing research. <laughs> okay. You have a very specific task. <laughs> um, I, I understood the assignment. I'm on it immediately. Don't you even worry. This is my favorite thing that we've ever had to like do as <laughs> a side note. So, for listeners, for our viewers, as Skloon likes to call them, um, yes. we, <laughs> um, our viewers. we both stream, as we said in episode one, but there is usually a thing where you have a long, ridiculous stream for birthday, uh, anniversaries, things of that nature, and mm-hmm. my birthday wasn't too long ago. But unfortunately, due to personal problems and like just life in general, I went on vacation. I wasn't able to have one, so I'm doing it really soon. And there's just a little bit of a an incentive where I read Mothman stories of a particular taste. Do with that as you will. I'm very excited about it. Yes. I am also very so. excited about it. <laughs> it just was one of those things where like it was a silly idea, but at the same time, a great idea. So today, uh, we wanted to release something on our one month 
anniversary, if you will, for the podcast. It's yeah. April 1st, which, ha ha ha, we know, we know. But we've released five episodes at this point. We're really, really excited about everything. We truly just wanted to give you guys like an extra little, a little kick, a little story. So these are stories that are near and dear to our hearts. Uh, yeah, my, mine is one of my favorite cryptids by far. Don't tell Mothman, but, but it's oh, true. Oh no, we would never. No, no, no. Keep a secret. Don't any of you tell Mothman. Okay. For those of you in in West Virginia, you keep those beans on lockdown. We don't. Yeah, you don't spill those beans. (laughs) You keep those beans sealed tight. Give them to the local donation food bank across the street, but don't don't spill them at his feet, please. Yeah. No. May Mothman be with you. May Mothman be with you. (laughs) Honestly, if I get a tattoo for Mothman, I think I would keep it real simple: the big red eyes, the antennas like real minimalism and then it just be let mothman be with you yeah very nice very nice i'm here for it she got magic tattoos <gasps> we could all right all right, all right but <laughs> that's in the future that's that's yeah. a while from yeah <laughs> but that's a future us uh adventure that's a future us problem present us yeah. doesn't have to deal with it right now yeah last episode i went first no Last episode, I went last. I, we did The Grim Sleeper, um, which was a very, very horrible tale. Doing the research and the stories for that, it still haunts me. It was very scary. The story about the survivor, she was incredible. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take a little bit of a break, and Skloon gets to go first this week. So I'm really excited. <laughs> yes. We're just hitting, hitting a couple favorites real quick. Just a special treat. A special treat. Loon, I'm ready for okay. your delicious tale. Okay. <laughs> I chose one of my favorite cryptids of all time, the Gongoozler. Such a great name. It's a beautiful name. Rolls off the tongue. Gongoozler. The Gongoozler. Um, the Gongoozler is an ancient underwater cryptid that has red bloodshot eyes, sharp teeth that can easily tear through flesh and bone, arms, and legs with four fingers sprouting off of each appendage and small spines along his back. Its skin is usually colored in hues of gray and some say it has a goggle type facial feature where its eyes should be. Yeah. Like almost kind of bug eyes, but not really bug eyes because it's almost goggly-esque. I just, yeah, goggly-esque, you know, like from far away might look like a pair of of, of water goggles. You know? This nocturnal cryptid prefers pitch black waters as it is only present in pure darkness during the night. It can inhabit any cold body of water including lakes, seas, and oceans but frequently lurks in the waters that fill the deep end of your local pools. Especially if it's only heated for about two hours. That is perfect temperature for a gongoozler. Swims in the chlorinated liquid through the dark of the night and will rest right before the dawn. When it wakes before the light of day can drive it from the shadows, it will disappear. Luckily, this short visit of this creature means many are spared from ever meeting it. But for those who are brave and decide to take a late night swim, it's another story. Ooh. Yeah. A great hunter of the deep, the Gongoozler is known to play with its prey. Using the pitch black of night, it makes splash, splashing and noises that come from the darkness causing paranoia to trick its victims going 
into the deeper water. While lurking in the inky black depths of the deep end, the gongoozler will move swiftly and silently up behind you, grab you up by the toes, and drag the prey far down beneath the frothy depths to be devoured. There are very few warnings that a gongoozler is near, but you know it is too late when you hear the unearthly screech of the gongoozler singing your death song. If you hear its call around you, there's no longer an escape. Are you going to give us a taste of what this sounds like? Um, <laughs> I'm just going to do the sound I I imagine every creature of the night to make. And that is, <laughs> You're welcome. That was amazing. I'm satisfied. Your ear holes. <clears throat> oh, I'm going to save that when I... <laughs> And no wait, no. Gonna add that in to <laughs> our intros and outros for <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it is said the only possible way to escape your fate from the gongoozler is to go even further beyond and retrieve the gongoozler's tail, which is said to be a mighty relic. If you are afraid of the depths, then you must face your fears, and also face the gongoozler. This is the only way. There this is, is the only. Way. This is the, this is the way. Let me show you the way. Um, there, there has been a very convincing documented footage of the gongoozler, but sadly, it is lost to time. This footage is said to contain the only two known survivors of a gongoozler's presence who came in contact with the creature late one night deciding to go swimming. They waded into their pool, but little did they know what was waiting for them in the hidden waters of the deep end. It is said the two only survived by retrieving the mighty relic of the gongoozler's tail, sparing their lives from the beast, but sadly, as stated before, the footage is gone forever. It is unclear whether the events calmed the gongoozler's hunt or if it's still out there, licking the depths for toes and calling out to those foolish enough to wade into the deep end. If you see a shadow in your pool late at night, stay indoors and away from the waters, hiding the deep, for it may be the shadow of a gongoozler. Um, and my sources are Flaming Tail, uh, Wiki, Urban Dictionary, and the Gongoozler Wiki. Wikipedia, the best thing ever. Mm, so spoopy. <laughs> I do like the Gongoozler. I just like the fact that he has a song that he sings. Yeah. And he just kind of like appears in like murky, inky depths, but also appears in swimming pools. Yeah. You know, swimming pools can be murky, inky. Murky, inky. Oh. Protect good. your toes. Protect your itty bitty toes. <laughs> Protect your tootsies. I understand why the gongoozler is technically one of your favorites, but not the favorite, obviously. Just one no, of no, the no. favorites. Just he's up there. He's up there in my list. He's up there. Yeah. He's got a special place. Oh yeah, special place. He's good. In the deep end, you know, of pool. <laughs> As we collaborate, as we all know, um, my story. I think uh, you mentioned a couple of people who witnessed it. And I think with my slightly paranormal, slightly murder story, they are 
linked in some fashion. So <gasps> how spoopy. I was reading a little bit of it and it it didn't necessarily mention the Gongoozler, but I think one of your victims or not victims, my victim of my story <laughs> was one of your uh witnesses. So Oh. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Mine actually takes place back in the 1900s. The person in question, very, very high up, very, very well done. Um, And just to kind of keep it a little bit of a mystery, like I'm not really going to say his name. Um, I'll just let you know that his name is Mark. Mark is our, this is the story of how Mark died, as well as the paranormal circumstances surrounding his death. So... It's not really a well-known story, I don't think. Um, It's definitely one that a lot of people have looked into previously. A documentary was made about it. um, But it's not one that, like, I readily knew about until just a couple of years ago. So, we are going to essentially just start with the night of... So the night of, the district attorney of the local city um, does come around. It's kind of set up in, like, California. It didn't really tell me exactly where in California, but they just kind of made it, like, a general area. So the district attorney, which, again, was also not named, which I think was a little interesting. But again, like I said, this is partially, like, a paranormal story. So I think they just kind of kept it, like, under wraps. Yeah. Um, Essentially, uh, Mark began to host a night of poker on October 13th, 1928. Uh, He invited a lot of his close friends, as you know, the district attorney, uh, William, who was a colonel, uh, like a safari hunter in that time frame. Um, Damien, who was like his best friend, kind of like a brother. Damien was actually also the mayor of the town. Again, still didn't really give me the name of a town. Everyone kind of showed up at 7.55 p.m. It was a great time drinking all around. Uh, poker, as we know, there was a private chef, like a personal chef, and a butler. So Butler the Benjamin, he was there. And the chef was just pretty chill and laid back, but also like kitchen was his kitchen. You know, you don't mess with things. Yeah, yeah. Mark uh, essentially makes a statement to the crowd. You know, now this evening, uh, it's not all about the poker. It's not all about me. It's about you. So drink up and be merry. Life is for the living. And who knows? I could be dead tomorrow. And these are essentially the last words that Mark says. (gasps) Spooky. Mm -hmm. It's very final destination-y. It's definitely a little like you call, like kind of like you foresee things that could happen. And, you know, everyone says that, like, you could die tomorrow. You could die in the next five minutes. You can die next week. So I don't think it necessarily was anything of, like, he knew what was going to go on. But at the same time, we're all dying. (laughs) Just to be a little little cynic about it. Oh, excuse me. We're all decaying. Every second goes by. We're all dying due to oxygen poisoning. If you didn't know that. (laughs) That's literally what it is. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. as this story goes, the chef cleans up everything he cleans up uh, unknown blood from the party it got a little rowdy there was like a little bit of a fight there seemed to be a little bit of a bad blood between william and mark which we will get into later um but unfortunately mark actually goads 
William into a game of Russian roulette and it's due to making amends for the bad blood between them. So Mark essentially was just like, hey, let's play this game. You know, we'll have a couple of laughs. Ha da ha da ha. I don't know how you can have a couple of laughs with Russian roulette or the whole point is like accidentally killing yourself because of like what? It's like one bullet. Yeah. Unless then, yeah. it was a nerf Russian roulette. Well, back in 1928, I don't time think they tra- had nerf guns. Time travelers, <laughs> Ash. Time travelers. <laughs> uh, did say this was paranormal. Uh, yeah. So this actually ends up with William accidentally shooting Mark and killing him. <gasps> he oh, does no. move the body into the living room. That's that's the scene. That's where we're at. Giant party. Mark, our victim, is killed in an accidental shooting by William. And, you know, his body is laid to rest in the living room. Kind of make it seem like an accident. Um, because, again, everyone's really drunk. Who knows what's going on? But... I told you who killed Mark, but there's a lot more to this story. So what kind of actually happens is, you know, the district attorney actually wakes up around like 8, 8.30. Um, he's greeted by the butler Benjamin and Damien, the newly elected mayor. Um, while they are going through the house and headed to the kitchen for breakfast, somehow Mark's body falls into the living room. So I think it was oh. placed on like the rail like William had placed it on the rail and kind of like finagled it to make it look like Mark dropped you know yeah maybe like in a drunken stupor maybe in a suicidal fashion essentially to cover the tracks there is uh Abe forgot to mention Abe Abe is essentially like a private detective um he is he was also part of the investigation um, not investigation. He was part of the poker night and then he starts conducting an investigation. So it was like top people from the city all together, big top names. Mark was very, very popular. He he was really well liked, but also like, you know when everyone really likes you, but at the same time, like they think that you're a pompous asshole? Essentially what this was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the private detective obviously notices the district attorney, recognizes that he's still there. And convinces the district uh, attorney to be his partner. So they both kind of are like, you know what? I think that you're free. I think you're innocent. Vice versa. I'm completely innocent. Like, we're fine. So they go around and then they start talking to the guests to see what they remember. If they saw Mark at any other point after the poker party. Because at this point, remember, they don't know about him and William having their little Russian roulette tete-a-tete. Tete-a-tete? Tete-a-tete. No, tete-a-tete. I don't listen. I'm trying to say French words that I really don't know the naming of. It's fine. It's fine. fine. (laughs) When they do so, how he determines himself and uh, the district attorney to be innocent is that he actually does examine the body of Mark and they determine the time of death in a little bit of a weird manner. Again, 1928, not really probably the best ways to determine times of death. Um, But because the fact that the district attorney went to bed pretty early and so did the private detective, he pretty much just ruled them out. They go ahead and they tell the mayor. The mayor understands. Um, He wants to help, but they're like, no, you're still a suspect. We really don't want to do anything to jeopardize, you know, anything. The chef was back in their kitchen. As the district attorney explores explores the house, they come across uh, William and Damien actually having an argument over 
Mark's death, which ends with Damien angrily storming off. Um, he doesn't really talk to the district attorney, but William does kind of recount his perspective of the events that took place. Doesn't really talk about the Russian roulette, though. He kind of leaves that off to the side. Just like, yeah, we were having fun. He was still alive when I last saw him. Ha da ha ha. So, oh, sneaky. Mm-hmm. So, the butler uh, then finds the district attorney and takes him down to the wine cellar. Because, let me tell you, Mark had a huge mansion. It was his manor. And it had grounds it had a pool it had a fountain with a pool i think it was um it had this huge kitchen it had like it felt like it had three stories but it had like this beautiful grand staircase like like multiple things and then yeah it was three stories because there was a wine cellar downstairs of course so it's just a huge a huge area so they go downstairs to the wine cellar and benjamin the butler um shows like a scene a mess there's a couple of wine bottles broken, something that's red on the floor, but they determine it to possibly be wine because it's a wine bottle in the middle of it. Um, but Benjamin's like, I keep this house spotless. Like, I don't really know why this is here, but I figured you should know. Oh. So he basically tells him like, you know, would who, you know who would know what goes on at night? The chef. The chef is always here. The chef has eyes everywhere. You should go talk to them. The district attorney does go talk to the chef. And yes, it's a little weird that like the police haven't been called yet. But again, that's 1928. The district attorney is basically the one that's going to like prosecute anyone anyway. So I feel like they're just kind of like, we'll just keep going. There's a quote unquote private detective. Like they'll know what to do at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, why would we call when we already have one here? Right. There's really not a whole lot of, I don't want to say like sectioning off. Because again, 1920s, what do they really know anymore? Yeah. So the chef, during the little interview, tells him about the experience that he had the night before, what was going on, what he cleaned up. Um, I will say during the interview in part of the documentary that I watched, um, the chef is, again, he ends up being really sweet, but he's very aggressive. Like he waves around a knife for a little while. Like he's just, (laughs) he's just in it but he says that he's got a little buddy and it's actually like a little italian man with a camera oh it was just like a little rinky-dink camera something that was very much of the time if you will i think it was just starting um but it actually recorded a conversation between mark and the private detective abe uh the district attorney actually ends up leaving the manor and meets up with damien uh, outside Damien also talks about his experiences with Mark and William, how he was the best friend to Mark. He loved him dearly as a brother. Um, You know, he apologizes for his argument that was witnessed earlier. He's just, he's just lost. He's upset. But once he's done talking, the private detective calls over the district attorney to talk about something new that he discovered. Mark's body has disappeared. (gasps) Where did it go? Where did it go? Did the gun goozler take it? And the gun goozler eat it? Uh, quickly, a little bit of backstory. A Mark was not Mark. Uh, so Damien, the mayor, before he became the mayor, uh, back in 1917, um, Damien actually ended up in legal trouble, which ended up getting into cahoots with Mark. 
Um, Mark actually, again, really, really well-known actor. He was a really well-known like influencer of the time, you know, 1920s, 1900s, like word of mouth travels pretty fast. So he needed help from Mark. He needed money, legal help, all that fun stuff. Around this same time in 1917, Colonel William actually was on a safari hunt that really goes wrong. It was one of those things where, you know, he would go adventuring um, and just have a good time, but it didn't really go into what went wrong. It just went wrong. Um, So he really wasn't mentally stable. Like he was still there. Like he still knew who he was and everything. He still had full functioning of his body. It just was a little off. And also around 1917, uh, Mark married a woman named Celine. However, it really doesn't last very long because Celine and William uh, have an affair. And William actually starts accumulating debt from Mark. So he was borrowing money from Mark. And actually, Celine and William run off together. And around this time, Mark pushes everyone away and attempts suicide. But doesn't really work. He does attempt suicide many different times, um, but nothing ever quite sticks. He tried um, stabbing himself, didn't work. He tried poisoning himself, beating himself to death, strangling himself, and drowning. And nothing ever worked. But he was still really, really much, very, very much angry against William. And he had a revenge plan instead. So he wants to find a way to extract revenge against uh, William. So that's kind of where everything kicks off. So Mark apparently has this plan that he starts to concoct with other people, kind of in a way to either get William killed himself or get it to where William does kill him. Um, A, because he still wanted to commit suicide, but B, that way William is in trouble and his life is essentially ruined forever. I will say at this point, uh, during 1928, it's really not known if William and Celine are still together. Um, It very much made it clear that she also left him, but it didn't state where she left him, like what time frame, how long they were together, none of that. Oh. So, uh, once uh, Mark's corpse disappears, there actually is a phone call made to 911 at this point, um, letting them know about Mark's murder. Because now that that's what they determined, if someone's willing to hide the body, that does mean that someone does feel guilty and that they're trying to hide the evidence. Maybe the district attorney was getting super close, things like that. Right. Um, word of this new discovery spends to um, spreads to everyone in the house, um, including William, who does actually state he's willing to, quote, put the old lad down again. If the opportunity presents itself. And this actually causes the district attorney and the private detective to be very suspicious of him. Because, again, no one knows that they had the Russian roulette. No one knows what's going on. They all just saw Mark's body fall from the sky and, again, is now disappeared. Yeah. He's got some high sus on him. Sus. Uh, So, 
the manor is then locked down, which doesn't make sense that it wasn't locked down previously, but I think they were just kind of like, okay, well, if someone's trying to move the body, maybe they're trying to move it off property, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. So the private detective does eventually take the district attorney to uh, Mark's master bedroom and starts asking him, like, why Mark was even hosting the poker night poker night they're trying to figure out what the motive was if there really was one why did he invite you know his best friend the mayor why did he invite a private detective why did he invite the district attorney why did he invite the man that they supposedly i think at this point in the story um and in the documentary i don't think they knew that william and celine had been together. I don't think that they thought that William had bad blood with uh, with Mark, but I think there was a little bit of like a little bit of a hint from Damien that like yeah they were all friends and they were all buddy buddy, but not all was what it was seeming. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so the private detective is like, why did Mark hold a poker night? Like, what's going on? Um, when they start looking through Mark's bedroom to see if there's any indications like what's going on, you know, if he had planned anything, um, the colonel, William, actually appears and asks, um, for the district attorney to go outside, have another chit chat. Let's go for a walk. Let's do all this. So this is where William's personality kind of shows and like, seems very, very weird, very distracting. Um, William's discussing his relationship with Damien and Mark before he randomly just jumps into a pool. Like, he rips his clothes off. He shows a striped bathing suit underneath. It's like, oh, this pool looks great to dip in. Jumps into the pool. And then, like, is seemingly underwater for a relatively long amount of time. Like, he doesn't pop out for a little bit. But while he's in the pool, Damien comes in asks for William, can't find him either, and before the district attorney can be like, he's in the pool, runs off. Oh. All right, you know. Um, William then exits the pool uh, and just continues his conversation. Just like, oh yeah, you know, we, we were best buds. We were great friends. We had some issues. And then just lays down about how Mark had a lot of enemies and that there were actually a few few people who wanted him dead so he then decides to go down to uh mark's golf course that he had on the manor grounds which i again manor is huge um damien comes back still can't find him district attorney sends him down while he before he gets sent down to the golf course let him know where william is he actually tells the district attorney about his distrust of the private detective so he's really not a fan of him he thinks that he knows more than he's letting on he's just really not sure like where he's getting his information how he's getting it how he just seems to know things before they happen as well as actually believing that in a house this big there might actually be one or two more people like guests that they're not actually fully aware of so true when this happens, um, they actually hear a very 
loud shattering sound and it ends up being a glaze from inside the mansion and they run inside and they see William and the private detective holding each other at gunpoint um and they're arguing they're just in the middle of this heated discussion they're both kind of like like what is the term like where they both have a gun and they're like no you put it down no you put it down no you put it down yeah it's bullshit arguing um the butler and the chef also enter the scene you know they have to hold down the house now that they're they're uh what is the term <sighs> not owner because that's weird um but now that the the mansion head man the big guy <laughs> is gone so they're trying to hold down the fort the mansion i don't know the phrase is yeah 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 mention head man the homeowner i guess (laughs) you know what that would have been better no 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 i like mansion head man sounds mysterious like it's like a like a floating head of the mansion (laughs) (laughs) william is complaining uh about how you know he couldn't have any gun practice on the grounds the private detective is like why do you even have a gun um the chef is like he would have shot me you know, because he's also trying to maintain the grounds. Um, but the chef retorts with the fact that he doesn't work for William anymore. So at some point, they did work together. They did actually have some sort of relationship. It's all in her tangle. So, well, the chef calls him private, as in private William. But William's like, no, I'm a colonel now. So I think maybe at some point... Um, before he was like promoted to his colonel rank, they actually were like in a business relationship or partnership or something. Yeah. They all start fighting as well. And then the private detective again cuts off their argument, reinitiates his argument with William, trying to like deflect him off of the other guests and the house staff. And at this moment, Celine walks in. <gasps> Celine marks X. And William's far-gone lover. She asks what's going on. And of course, everyone's taken aback because half the people don't know who she is. Almost everyone doesn't know, like, her relationship with William. I believe most of them know her as Mark's ex. Um, So they actually tell her that Mark has been murdered. The body is missing. And she actually tells them that she needs them to stop saying the word murder. She's feeling some disturbances in the area. She's feeling that the house itself has really bad negative energy and she just doesn't. She basically tells them like they need to stop it because it feels and sounds like every time they say it, the house internally makes like a lightning and thunder sound. So it's almost like, and this is where like the paranormal, besides the body disappearing, the paranormal aspect comes into play because now they're picking up on sounds that are happening, uh, creaks that are happening when they discuss murder or trauma or anything of that nature so she's saying that it's something you know something mysterious is happening i also want to point out that the mansion is supposed to be on lockdown how did she get in that's true oh my god right so maybe she was a guest that they didn't know about oh secret hidden people right And maybe Damien knew that she was there. Like, maybe he stumbled upon her or something and knew that she was there, which is why he was trying to tell the district attorney. Like, there's so many hidden secrets. It's really crazy. Um, She eventually tells them that she's actually been studying arcane arts. So, you know, the town people 
were kind of correct when they said that she had like a supernatural air about her. She was studying not quite a cult, but definitely like seeing into the future or learning about the spirits, the spiritual wall, the veils of the living, things like that. So she's telling them that the sounds and feelings that they're getting whenever they say the word murder is actually really dangerous. So she's like, you need to, you need to calm it down. Say something else. Say death. Say, you know, disappearance. Just don't say murder. And they're like, ah, you're crazy. <laughs> so she wants to hold like a seance of sorts so that she can try to communicate with Mark's spirit to see if she can figure out who killed him. Because again, this whole time, they still don't know what's going on, yet there's definitely been lots of things that are pointing to William the Colonel that he is the killer. It's just crazy to me. So she um, actually takes the district attorney to help her with the seance. Um, she needs a she needs someone as a guide who she can have them see visions you know, things of that nature. And I know probably everyone is like, oh, hokey pokey, do listen, which you don't know. We don't know where things can happen. Some people have a sixth sense about things and that's amazing. Yeah. Um, in the 1928, I don't know if it would be considered a cult, arcane, witchy, like I really don't know. She holds a seance and the district attorney does have visions and he actually ends up drawing someone who I believe it was like holding a shovel like he looked like he was wearing like a hat it was just really out of the blue and she doesn't know what it is he doesn't know what it is and so eventually they uh show it to Benjamin the butler and the chef and they both are like oh that's George that's the groundskeeper (laughs) and they're like what and um benjamin's like oh but it really can't be the groundskeeper like he can't have anything to do with this this death because he only works here on the weekdays like he only works monday through friday and this was all happening like friday night saturday but they see the jet the chef is like really awkward and they actually find out this crucial detail chef reveals George has been living on the manor grounds for years. He works during the weekdays, but he lives in his little shack on the grounds on the weekends. He doesn't have a home to go to. He's a single man living a single life on a ground with a golf course. Like he's just chilling out, man. Yeah, he's just living Um, his best life living the best life but of course the private detective is super pissed off at this the district attorney is completely baffled because they're like again another quote-unquote mysterious guest that we didn't know about because it's the weekend so they they go down um celine and damien you know have a whole conversation that you can kind of overhear and it's very heated um the chef does advocate for George, telling him that he really can't be the murderer. He can't be the one that killed anyone because he doesn't like the house. And they're like, well, he hasn't been here and the body's missing and a groundskeeper would know where to bury a body. It's true. So um, 
they pretty much tell everyone to be in their rooms. Stay separated. Stay in your own little business. Don't go anywhere. Don't talk to anyone. So Celine and Damien are in his room. Um, William is in his room. Uh, and then Abe, the private detective, uh, chef, and the district attorney all go down to talk to George. Um, chef basically tells George, like, hey, like, I told him that you were here. Like, sorry, man. And uh, Abe pretty much tells him that he's a suspect in the murder. And George tells him he's not the murderer. He refuses to go to the house. He hates the feeling of the house. He um, doesn't... He believes that there's something more going on than just a house. Like, kind of haunted, but not haunted. Just really, really bad vibes. Yeah. And he's like, I'm never going to go in unless there's a specific reason. At that exact moment, <laughs> a huge lightning strike appears over the house. Now, I will say, skeptic, once always a skeptic here, um, again, I believe in all the supernatural because you never know. You never know. You never Things know. are weird. Yeah. Um, but maybe when they were saying the word murder, there was a storm appearing. Like maybe there was almost a hurricane, a tropical storm, a typhoon, a regular rainstorm, and it just happened to coincide every time they said murder. Yeah, just coincidences. Who knows? Coincidences. Um, but because of this particular lightning strike, it was really, really loud. It like had this weird cloud around it as well. And George immediately screamed out that that's the reason. That's the reason he'll go back in. And he runs inside to the house. Everyone follows him. And then they see Celine. And again, this is where it leads into the paranormal. They see Celine bathed in a bright purple light. And she's grinning with an evilish smile, like malicious. Oh, God. Um, they actually are scared. There's like a whirlwind happening. There's mo- like in her room. Um, they can't find Damien. They don't really know what's going on. Um, because again, they were supposed to be together. And so they force the door to her bedroom shut and seal her inside. Um, William comes out. He asks what's happening in her room. Um, George, the house, uh, the groundskeeper is like, Celine and, and Damien are gone. How he knows that, I don't really know. Um, but it seems like he may have had some like weird connection to the house or maybe he just saw Damien's body in the in the room who knows but he calls the manor cursed he says he's never gonna be in here again he's leaving forever and him and the chef actually quit and leave um william runs off in a fit of rage and the private detective follows after him because again they left them all in the house so the butler, William, Celine, and Damien were all left in the house while the chef, the private detective, and the district attorney went go down to see the groundskeeper. Mm-hmm. So they didn't see the butler anywhere near, um, but they saw William close by. So, you know, kind of putting two to two together. Um, Benjamin is eventually found and he tells them to leave the house. Um, there's only death here now. You should leave. The district attorney 
then hears a voice calling out for help and he enters like this like this room of like a weird space and he keeps hearing distorted voices and he's really not sure what's going on until he actually comes across Abe's office (gasps) and again the private detective isn't supposed to live there yeah no one but Mark and his employees live there. So this gives the private detective, like, another little notch in the who are you and what are you doing. The district attorney is confused as hell. So he actually um, sees all this evidence against um, William and Celine. And this is where dis- the district attorney actually pinpoints that Celine was in a relationship with William, that there was this whole illicit affair, um, that Damien was also included into it, and that Mark kind of helped, I think it was, Damien get um, the mayor position. Kind of like a, I'm going to help you out, and therefore you do things for me. Right, right, right. So, mm-hmm. so while the district attorney is looking into this, the colonel actually appears and he sees all this evidence against him. He gets really mad. And then he actually starts stating that Abe is responsible for everything. That Abe is the one that killed Mark, even though we know that Will did it. Um, and that this was all a plot against him. That no one's actually dead and again, this is another part where we think that William has a little bit of that mental break because he just acts a little funny all the time. Um, but essentially, he runs after uh, the private detective. They um, Again, they're at this standoff. They're holding each other at um, gunpoint. Um, the private detective starts chastising um, William for the affair with Celine. Um, And that he actually believes that he was still stealing money from Mark. And this argument gets really, really heated. And the district attorney is witnessing everything, including the point where William shoots Abe. The district attorney actually tries to disarm William after the gunfire went off. um, But he gets shot as well. And the district attorney actually falls off the walkway because this all happened on the second floor. (laughs) Um, He falls off the walkway and he perishes on the ground floor. Oh my goodness. Some say that the district attorney um, wasn't actually dead at this point. That he was in some sort of like weird coma-like state. Um, The district attorney actually makes the statement that um, he could hear Mark's voice say, It's not fair, isn't it? He can see Mark's dead body in, like, this limbo, if you will. Uh, The district attorney is also greeted by Celine and Damien. They kind of... Kind of go over just like, yeah, this happened. (laughs) Isn't this... Isn't this grand? We are all dead. Aren't you happy? We're all happy. Um, But, again, with the paranormal part... uh, the district attorney says that Damien comments that Mark actually returned in his body. So Damien, the mayor, is like, no, Mark is now me walking around as me. Um, and a lot of people said that Mark 
and Damien like kind of looked like each other. Like they had very similar features. Um, the, they also said the Colonel kind of had similar features. Like they almost all could be brothers at a weird point. It was really cool. Mm. Um, doppelgangers. Doppelgangers. <laughs> uh, but um, they they kind of like it's one of those things where like um, and this is why I said that kind of coma, kind of limbo-esque, where, like, you kind of are imagining, but maybe you're not imagining. Um, and so, essentially, the district attorney wakes up, and he believes that he's brought forth the souls of um, Celine and Damien with him. So he believes that he's now, like, three people and not just him. Like, he wanted to bring them back so they can get, like, some sort of revenge. Um, The district attorney actually wakes up 10 hours after being shot. Um, He gets up, he looks around the room, and he sees William uh, watching him holding Damien's cane. And William kind of comments and remarks how... Um, the district attorney is alive that he actually isn't been he hasn't been killing anyone he didn't kill mark um this is kind of where it all comes out like he was playing russian roulette like he um believes that everyone is playing this huge prank on him that damien and celine are like hiding from him uh, that they're all on this big prank together and he uh, he leaves the cane on the table and he runs off to see if he can go find Damien and Celine. Um, but at this point, uh, the district attorney picks up the cane and he looks into a mirror. And this um, mirror actually just magically cracks. Um, not sure if maybe like the pressure in the house, maybe the evil aura is in the house, but it cracks and. It looks like the image, according to the district attorney, it looks like the image shifts. So he actually isn't looking at himself, but he's looking at one of the, quote, people that he brought forth with him. And um, the district attorney actually believes that he is trapped after this. So the, um, the private detective did try to leave a warning to William um, tell him that he better run, that he's, you know, going to be chased, he's going to be hunted down, that he really is in the middle of everything. But they eventually found Mark's body at 9, at 9 a.m. on Monday after the whole weekend. Um, and let's see, I had another little bit. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Um... It actually did come out. That's what it was. It actually did come out that Mark did concoct this whole plan, that he did have the private detective living with him, and Celine, Damien, and the private detective were all in a cahoots together with Mark, as well as the chef and the butler, in order to frame William, make him crazy, thinking that he was killing his friends, but they were coming back to life and essentially put him in like a downward spiral of mental instability. Oh my God. And um, right now the Colonel is um, unknown to be found. He is last I read, he has been 
um, kind of like in a limbo himself. He's not quite, um, he's not quite himself anymore. I believe he changed his name, so he's no longer, um, William, but there's a lot of names that have been going around. Um, Will Ford come, came around a little bit, um, but he's still very distinguishable by, by his outfit and his voice and his classic mustache. Um, and no one has really seen much more of Mark. They do say that, you know, Damien has changed a lot as well. So it's a very interesting, like, tale of kind of like, was this just a prank gone wrong? Was this a, a true death? And like, because everyone was so traumatized or was back in the 1928... Was it something that, uh, that like kind of got twisted in tales? Um, but yeah, that is my story of the murder of Mark Fishbach and the summary tale of his YouTube series, Who Killed Markiplier? Amazing. Is our prank episode? Ha ha ha! Got you, <laughs> you nerds. I feel kind of. <laughs> I feel like I sold it. I feel yeah. like I was really selling it yeah, the yeah. whole time. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, <laughs> I will just say that my sources, real quick, are just uh, the markiplier.fandom.com, <laughs> the wiki article of who killed Markiplier, um, bouncemojo.com, who killed Markiplier, uh, Wattpad dot com uh tv tropes right uh tv tropes.org and a little bit from fairy scorpius's tumblr um just trying to get the whole thing so do you want to tell them what your what your cryptid was from um the gone grizzly was in an episode of unis honest Created by Mark Fishbach and Ethan Nestor. AKA Markiplier and Crank Gameplays. So. Yes. Um, we, like we said earlier, we just wanted to give you guys a special episode. A little bit of a, a break. Right? I feel like that's a, that's a good phrase. A good, a good turnabout. Some pizzazz. Put- <laughs> A little, a teaspoon of pizzazz. Teaspoon of sugar makes the true crime go down. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) But we, obviously we're not going to do this all the time. But this also, I feel like for you, especially for the Gongoozler, this also comes into play of like, are cryptids just legends and tales that have eventually evolved over time or is it something kind of like a creepypasta mix where you can create a cryptid right 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 exactly so it's just kind of one of those things where truly that whole episode made me cry laugh hysterically oh yeah it's my favorite episode before uh everything got deleted i watched it like Mm -hmm. three times in a row just because it's my absolute favorite (laughs) 
It's so good. Um, I will say for those of you who, who probably have never even heard of it, um, I will say the Markiplier and Crank Gameplays crossover for Unis Honest was one of the greatest things YouTube was ever blessed with. Um, yes. You can find some things... Um, as like archives, they're not the full episodes. They're like clips from them um, because they had a really great idea where like after a year of creating content every day, it goes, it disappears. There's always an ex- expiration date for things. And I think they wanted to symbolize death where there's not really a lot of things that are able to be held on to. Yeah, so you just really, have really, memories. Really, Exactly. You just have memories and that's what we have. That's what we have for everything. So we really hope that you enjoyed our prank episode. I feel like everyone's going to figure out that this is a prank episode just for the fact that this is coming out on April 1st. Let's no, 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 no. You don't no. think so? No, we, we, we got it in the bag. <laughs> Listen, you did such a good job on the Gongoozler. Oh, let me thank just you. say, <laughs> thank you. I feel like I did decent with. No, no, no. You did hooker. a good job. I was, I, I, I couldn't remember um the video, so I was like listening with like attention, like a hundred and fifty crank, because I was like, what? <laughs> I will say that I did leave out about the gyms. There is a whole, um jim twin detective portion of it um that i did leave out only because of the fact that like truly you need to watch that series i do like the fact that i was like no one really heard about it until just a couple years ago (laughs) but i also didn't realize that it was set in 1928 so i did learn a lot like i'm really excited of what we learned about it yeah um so please definitely check out the creators on YouTube. Um, this is our sweet little plug to them just because we do follow them pretty well. They are very popular. And right now with everything going on, it is nice to have a laugh. Yes. It is, it is nice to have a joyous moment. And especially, uh, I know the, the Unis Honest channel came out when like covid was starting up so everyone was kind of like locked inside it was just a nice thing to have for a year just vibe with mm-hmm. and, and watch every day two two guys on the internet be sillies it was just very nice well not even just that but they also like they were relatively friends yeah but i feel like them doing that made them stronger and closer as friends overall and that's kind of what i hope for us as well like i feel like we're pretty pretty darn close anyway but i feel like us starting this journey which is kind of why i really like that we we did this episode was kind of like a homage to friends and the things that you can create and hopefully they're everlasting and not just in terms of friendship but also in terms of like memories and you know, even if it's just us two going back and listening to this like three years from now, it's still a great time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, just to quickly close it off, uh, 
my spoonful of sugar is our episode today because I had a blast rereading and rewatching everything. I had a blast listening to you talk about the Gongoozler in just such a descriptive <laughs> manner. Because again, it's one of my favorites. Every time Ash would bring it up, I'd be like, the Gongoozler. <laughs> like, I would do the, 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 the gremlin-y thing that Ethan does because it's just stuck in my head on replay. I, the image that I always remember from that episode is when he does have the goggles on, but he's tightened it. So that the little straps just flap <laughs> yeah. in the in the breeze, and they're just in Mark's dirty pool because there's just yeah. leaves everywhere, and it's pitch black, pitch black. It's pitch so black. The- I, it was so dark. I, I'm I'm on Mark's side. I don't think I would go swimming at night. I don't like it. Even though I know there's nothing in the pool, like your brain's like, there's something in the pool with me. I used to swim at night, but what we would do is in our pool because it was also like screened in i also live in florida so we always made sure that there was nothing oh yes no no gongoozler but we would crack glow sticks and we would uh we would turn on the pool light and then we would throw glow sticks into the pool and like the light up rings and everything and we would have like a little pool rave party oh that's so that sounds so fun that's Mm -hmm. so nice yeah, we would do that even if we didn't go into the pool, and then we would have like a little fog machine over top so that it like made it really pop. We did it at my house, we did it at my friend's house. That's where I got the idea to do it because I was like 16, 17 at the time, but definitely was a lot of fun. And anyone who has a pool and you've never done that, have a little pool rave. Yeah, why not? Enjoy your time. Make sure there's no gators or the gongoozler in your pool, though. Yes. Please make sure you don't have any cryptids. Definitely any gators, because they might be a little bit scarier than cryptids. Uh, Word to the wise, they always tell you this. They tell you to run zigzag from a gator. That is incorrect. You run straight forward. (laughs) Yeah? So... Listen, this is my PSA to everyone. Gators have eyes on the side of their head. So if you are running zigzag, even though they can run really fast forward, they if you're directly in front of them, they can't see you. But if you run zigzag, they can see you out of their eye and then they'll turn towards you and they'll bolt. So you running zigzag is exactly. So you running zigzag is giving them a chance to see you and alter their running towards you. Whereas if you see them and you just run straight ahead of them, they actually can't see you because their vision is not geared to the front of their head. So you're pretty much in their blind spot. I want to go pet the Florida swamp puppies. No. Yeah. (laughs) No. Ash is gonna come visit you and go pet the, <laughs> pet the gators. Listen, you come visit me, I will take you to Gatorland uh, in Orlando. Do we get the babies? They have babies. We can pet the little baby gators. That's fine. They have, I forget what his name. I think it's like Big Joe. Oh. But his face is literally the size of my torso. I like want to pet snout. Big Joe. 
is the size of my torso. And he is like three, like I'm 5'8". He's like three of me. Head to toe. He's huge. Um, Cuddly boy. Cuddly boy. We watched a dude wrestle a gator. And that's where he was telling us the whole, like, don't run zigzag, run straight. Um, And Gatorland's a lot of fun. I'll definitely take you to Gatorland. There's a little fun thing where you can actually feed gators. So there's a giant swamp-like lake in the middle of Gatorland. And it's ungated. And the head gator feeder... The gators know when dinner time is, so they'll all swim up to the bank and they'll all kind of come up onto the beach. And uh, there's like a line, an invisible line where they all just kind of chill out. And the um, head gator feeder, like he's got a stick. Literally, it's just a stick. And he'll like put it on their snouts and like let them know like, hey, chill out. And you literally just grab handfuls of raw chicken and you just toss it to them. Oh, bet. Yeah. And then they're like, come sit three feet in front of these gators and take a picture. <laughs> what a wild, like, one, one's just feeling like it's its day, right? So you, like, sit in front of it to take the picture, and you just get a snapshot of a gator, like, moving towards you, jaws open. Oh, just, yeah. Oh. I have a picture of my partner throwing meat. And it landed on a gator's, like, snout. And it just chilled out there because he couldn't get it. Oh, no! That's so I sad. felt so bad. I'll show it to you. It's it's one of my favorite pictures. But, yeah, I'll take you to Gatorland. I'll show you Woo. I'll show you everything. So, that's... This episode is my schoonful. What is uh, what is your schoonful? Um, this episode, too, because I got to talk about the Gongoosler. And I love the Gongoosler <laughs> so much. But... Also, I got my license. Yay! <gasps> Yay! That's yeah. always so exciting. And yeah. it's, it's it's always a feeling of, like, accomplishment when you get something that you've been striving for. And, like, I know someone who is um, in her 30s. Mm-hmm. She just turned, I think she just turned 30 last year. And she still doesn't have her driver's license. And... She truly was just like, why do I need one? Like, yeah, I work from home. I, my kids like ride the bus to school. Uh, if I need to go anywhere, I can Uber. I can get my groceries delivered. I can have like telehealth doctor's visits. Like, I really don't need to spend money on cars or gas. Like, I really don't need that. I'd rather save it and put it towards a house. And I was like, you know what? That's actually really smart. Like, I didn't even think about that. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, but having it, if that's something that you do, just in general, anything that you do try to do or aim for, having that is a lot of accomplishment. So I'm very happy for you. And I hope you feel confident in your driving future that's uh, okay <laughs> i'm just more <laughs> excited to like uh like i could just be sitting here you know and be like i want some nuggies and now i can go get some nuggies and i'm so I excited about nuggies. it yeah you can drive to them uh yeah. and pay 20 cents in gas uh because yeah. of your driving there pay yeah. four dollars for a 10 piece and then drive back 
versus give me the nuggies versus like 15 dollars for delivery yeah see that's the thing if if delivery cost less i would deliver all the time but i feel like it costs like a lot honestly you could also maybe be an uber driver like an uber (gasps) eats driver i know i've been to uber java yeah but that's insane like maybe you know because i know we've we've talked about off off the podcast we've been talking about um jobs and things and working from home or doing a job that gives you the ability to make your own hours in order to do crafts or passions and things like that um so i think that would be even better as well being able to earn a decent little little side bank while you're just driving around and feeling more confident and learning about your city and yeah. in the driving aspect. Yeah, I could uh, put on the podcast, drive around, <laughs> make deliveries. You put on our podcast and yeah. just listen to it. <laughs> You're like, oh, what are you listening to? Oh, that's my podcast. Uh, it's Murder yeah. Monsters. I just like <laughs> plug it. Like people, I'll pick it up and be like, "Oh, what are you listening to?" I'll be like, "Um, it's mm-hmm on Spotify. Uh, if you go to this link here, <laughs> they're gonna be like, "Wow, it sounds really familiar." Like, do you know who these people are?" And you're like, "No, never heard of <laughs> no, them. Mm-mm. I don't know." <laughs> you have to use like a pseudonym for your driving. So instead of Skloon, you're like Sklain. <laughs> a spoon. <laughs> spoon. <laughs> oh, but I we just want to say that we love you all and we're yes. so happy that we have been doing this for a couple weeks now I will say that as soon as we pushed live for episode one I was incredibly nervous and oh, yeah. just the Me fact too. that we're now five episodes in and I just feel like we're just we're just climbing we're just having a great time yeah we're just vibing telling stories just vibing yeah doing our things and i will say tune in on tuesday because uh we're actually gonna talk about a review for a tv show so just a little little uh preview into our next episode we're gonna talk about new orleans uh, maybe some ghost stories, maybe some murder stories, some cryptids from there. But we really are going to discuss and share our opinions on the new Netflix series. And which series that will be, you just got to tune in to find out. So just got to be there. I'll be there. Be there <laughs> or be square. What is, oh, you said, what was it last time? I think it was like first episode. If you're not having fun, what's the point? Yeah. If you're not having fun, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? Rules to live so, by. If you're not having fun doing it, why are you doing it? It's my favorite. My favorite ever. So thank you everyone for, for listening to what was supposed to be a short podcast episode turned into an hour and a half. As that recording. Was <laughs> but... We love you all. We can't wait to see you all on Tuesday. And just have fun. If you're not having fun, fun, what's the point? It's true. Mm -hmm. See you.
see y'all next time on This has been an episode of Murder Horror Monsters. Music produced by Dank with a Stank and Spooky Rose. Research and stories completed by Ash and Skloon. Follow the podcast on Twitter at MHMPod. Join us every Tuesday for new content on Spotify.